If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Eugenie Bondurant from Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, and you're listening to Don't Go Out There Podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Podcast. Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast, powered by the Big Three Roll-Up. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate all support. Uh, before we jump into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Uh, anything about this podcast you need to know, you can find it on our website. we got our episodes, interviews, celebrity shout-outs, our store, our blog, uh, our social medias, links to all of our social medias there. We have Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, just click those links and uh, go give us a follow or a subscription. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, and just give a quick shout out to our Patreon S thing that we have called Blood Donors. Uh, we get a lot of fans, uh, listeners who say, "Hey, how can we support you guys and help you guys out?" Uh, just check out Blood Donors on our website. We have all different level of tiers. By now, you've heard about our Patreon-esque tier donation program, you know, to help with things like web hosting, podcast hosting, and just basically keeping the lights on called Blood Donors, and by God, you want to help. Well, let me tell you more. We have different donation levels with tons of different perks from, you know, an autographed picture, an on-air shout-out, to picking a movie and joining us for an episode. Well, joining some of us. If you pick Jason X, I'm calling him sick that day. Um, you know, and we, and we know that we could never repay your generosity and we have some of the best fans in the world, but if you'd like to go ahead and donate even just $5, please go to don'tgooutthere.com, click donate, um, disclaimer, we are referring to donating money and not actual blood, uh, which makes this next part super awkward, but oh yes, there will be blood. But that's a figure of speech, not real blood, you animals. All right, let's go, jump into tonight's film review. And you might have heard a little bit of disappointment in my voice. We are taking on the newly released The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And just a warning for everyone who listens to this and who clicks play on this podcast episode. This is an in-depth, spoiler-filled film review. Beginning to end, we are going to spoil everything. So don't get mad at us if you listen to it and we spoil it. 
Uh, I'll just go ahead and give my quick overview, uh, quick thoughts. This isn't a bad movie to me. A little bit of a letdown, though, honestly. Actually, it's a big letdown. This movie was nowhere near as good as the the first one, (laughs) and it damn sure wasn't as good as the second one to me. Uh, We reviewed one and two at the beginning of 2020. When we had Rashad Green on, that was awesome. Big shout out to him. I rated that movie, the second one, a 10. And I got to say, uh, I'm, I'm very disappointed with this movie. I still think it's a decent movie, but I just got to be honest. It, it didn't live up to my expectations. Uh, Brian, you want to go next? Uh, yeah. Um, I, I wasn't really disappointed. I'm, I'm actually a big, a big fan of the first two Conjurings too. Um, I rated it on an 8.5 and a 9.5, if I'm not mistaken. And, and I really like this one. Um, I actually wondered if this would miss James Wan in the director's seat. And since I've called him the modern day Wes Craven and that he had a big movie making dick before it, the, the answer will always be yes to that question. It will definitely always miss James Wan. But I think Michael Chavis did fine. I mean, this is a different movie. Um, you know, we're in the third movie of the franchise, if you don't count the spinoffs. And I don't. Um, so I don't I mean, I, I didn't mind different. Um, it's not unrecognizable or anything to me. And, you know, I'm here for Wilson and Farmiga. Uh, I've said that in the other two episodes um, and they deliver. Uh, Chris Stuckman actually compared it to a TV series and said that if you like the characters, you're even going to like some of the lesser episodes. And and I think that's a good comparison. Um, although yeah, I don't really I agree. Think, I don't really think that this is like a lesser episode, though, to me. I, I think it stands right there. I, I mean, is it as good as the first two? Maybe not, but it's not, you know, very far, but it's at least close. Um, I enjoyed it as much. Um, I'll definitely be rating it high. And, you know, when we live <clears throat> when we live in a world where like horror sequels usually just suck and, and go downhill, the fact that this is even as good as I think it is says a lot about everyone involved. But that's that's what I think. Dustin, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. So I've got a completely different take on this movie than anyone else on this podcast because before this weekend – I had not seen a single Conjuring movie. I've not made it very clear, uh, as has Brian, that Possession is just not my bag. I do not fuck with those kind of movies. Uh, Don't like it. Now, that's not necessarily why I didn't watch the Conjuring movies before. I just had never got around to it. Um, That being said, fast forward, I watched the first one. I think, okay, this is a good movie. I gave it an 8.5. Watch the second movie. Oh, this is a good movie, too. I give it an 8. It's right there with it. Uh, going into this movie, I didn't have the high expectations that Nico did because I was not anticipating this movie at all. I, before this weekend, could have cared less if it ever released because it just I hadn't watched the other, so it didn't matter to me. So maybe that's why I didn't have the sigh of disappointment like Nico had when he's introducing us because I didn't have any expectations. I watched the first two and then immediately watched the third one uh, in consecutive days. So... That being said, I thought it was a good movie. Um, I like how each movie, they expand on uh, Lorraine Warren's quote-unquote abilities. They uh, really expand her character and what she can and can't do and what she sees and feels. I think that was cool. That's a cool character arc there. Um, my thing with possession movies are I paranormal activity. We did that one. Yeah. Fuck that movie forever. Cause you don't actually end up seeing the demon. It's, you know, it's the invisible killer. It's the invisible demon. Movies like this actually don't bother me nearly as bad because 
they visualize it. Like, uh, you know, when you can see it, it's like, okay, that, that takes some of the creepiness out of it for me. Uh, and so I didn't have a problem with it. Go ahead. And Dustin, me and you usually don't really see eye to eye in a lot of movies, but that is that sounds almost exactly like my description whenever I was doing Conjuring 1. Yep. That was That's my exact feeling on this, that entire thing and how these movies to me aren't like Paranormal Activity. So anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. And I remember back uh, before I even joined the show, I was listening to your guys' review of The Conjuring. I remember you saying something along those lines, but I guess I tucked it away. I'd forgotten it a little bit. And then when I go to watch the first Conjuring movie this weekend – and I see uh, when they go into the cellar, when they dis- discover that there's a cellar in the closet and they go start going down there and you see the hands pop up beside her head and clap. That's early on in the film. I was like, OK, I know what this is about to be. Let's do it. Let's knock these out. These are going to be good. Um, good to go for me. You know, I can sleep with the lights off. But um, <laughs> no. So back to this movie. I thought that uh, the casting was great. Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga can do no wrong. At all. I'm not just talking about in the Conjuring films. They're great. Um, yep. And it just, uh, I I think that it was a tad long. Now, it's the same exact length as the first Conjuring film. So that is what it is. So it's not necessarily about the length. It's just, I think there's moments in this film that kind of drag that they could have condensed a little bit. But overall, it's a good movie. Mike, go ahead, brother. Oh, uh, yeah. So. You know, we re- when we reviewed the first two, I believe I rated the second one higher than the first one, which in hindsight, probably a little bit of a mistake. I I rewatched the these two getting ready for this one uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I enjoy the first one significantly more than the second one, only because of the runtime. Uh, golly, the dang second one's almost two hours and 40 minutes long. It's very, very long. And it I feel that in the second one. First one I really, really enjoy, and I like the second one a lot. If I could re-rate it, it would be lower than the first one. So I I, I kind of hate to backtrack, but that was when I was a little more generous in my ratings <laughs> back then. I still kind of am, I guess. But um, as far as this movie goes, I think it's really good. I actually think it's an improvement on the second one. And I know that's probably a hot take in the Conjuring community. Uh, I have no loyalty to these films, so I kind of view them all as their own movie. Um, I think it's better than the second one, and I would place it just below the first one, which I think is a very awesome, succinct story that they get right and they nail every little bit. This um, this plot, I think, is better than the second one, but I, I think maybe just because I like the true crime aspect, even though it kind of gets a little bit sketchy as far as staying true to the story, but they all do, so that's okay. Um, I, I really, again, kind of like everyone else has already touched on, the cast – and the characters are what kind of make this film. Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson as Ed and Lorraine are awesome. They carry this movie. Um, and I think there's little nuances in this movie uh, that Vera does that are different than the first two. And you notice them almost like Lorraine's a little older, a little wiser, a little more in tune with her abilities, as Dustin said. And I think that comes through in this film a lot. Um, and I almost think that that Patrick Wilson, while still a strong actor and, and Ed still a strong character, um, kind of takes a backseat as far as, you know, splitting the screen. I think when Vera's on, she kind of steals the scene, and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, you know, I saw an article earlier this week, and I tend to agree with that. These movies are kind of a love story 
<laughs> uh, based around the demonic possession. And uh, this movie does that really, really well. Um, as far as, you know, everything else, look, this is a well-made film to me. Uh, I think the cinematography is fantastic. I, golly, I probably said it twice as, uh, as uh, me and Catherine watched them. I, I mean, I just, each time we watched it, I said, man, the cinematography is great. The way that shot looks is great. The lighting, awesome. Just so a really, really well-made film. I think the supporting cast is good. The child actor, uh, Julian Hiller, I think does a pretty dang good job as a possessed kid or showing, you know, making us gain sympathy and empathy uh, for the character. So again, I like this movie a lot. Um, it uh, Again, I don't really want to get into the whole thing where I don't like these kind of movies because I, I'm not a believer in this stuff. I try to separate that when it comes to this franchise in particular because they're just really, really good movies and I'm excited to talk about it. Catherine, did you want to give a quick general overview before we jump into the scene by scene? Uh, sure. Um, so I'm pretty novice when it comes to horror movies. I don't think I'd watched more than one in my entire life before I started dating Michael. But I will say this was the first time um, that I'd ever been excited to watch a horror movie. Most of the time I'm being forced. Um, but when we watched... <laughs> to Conjurings, um, I was forced into the first one. That's a definite. But um, I'm really intrigued by paranormal things. Um, I don't necessarily believe in possession, but um, I love the first two. So I was pretty excited to see this one. And like Michael kind of hinted at, I'm a feminist at heart. So I kind of loved that Lorraine kind of took on more of a, a power lead role here um, as opposed to Ed. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Also, before we go, let's get this out of the way from the two of us. Um, Vera Farmiga, you can call me sometime. Um, also, so... Wow. And, <laughs> wow. So, hold on, hold on. Sarah Catherine Hook, you can also call me sometime. Um, in the love of my life, Catherine, you can call me anytime. Uh, I, I believe, fellas, uh, Catherine has one herself. Hold on, I believe Catherine has one herself, fellas. Oh, yeah, young Ed can call me for sure sometime. <laughs> I for, i'm sorry i forgot to mention but uh catherine miss catherine she is joining us for this film review super excited for that uh y'all ready to jump into the scene by scene do it all right the film starts with i wrote an awesome spooky wb opening which is in all three of them i like that a lot now we're at the home of the glatzels and we see carnage and destruction in the home july 18th 1981 the exorcism of David Glatzel. He was eight years old. They take a break and Lorraine brings Ed a drink and asks if he's okay. He says he can't remember one like this. Ed tells them he could use some sleep. Ed tells the father he won't go through much more since the exorcism has been approved and Father Gordon is on the way. Arnie carries David to bed and tells him he's brave and, and to hang in there. He won't let anything happen to you. David asks when he's going to propose to his sister. Father Gordon is dropped off, and we get a nice homage to the shot from The Exorcist. Knock on the door, and David springs up, then another loud knock. He runs to the bathroom and hides in the tub. The demon shakes the knob violently. David looks up and sees fingers on the shower rod. The faucets turn on, and blood sprays on him. The family breaks into David's bathroom as he screams, and David charges his dad and stabs him in the knee area with a shard of glass. 
Ed grabs him and tells the father he has to do the exorcism now. David leaves scratch marks on the wall as Ed struggles to carry him downstairs. They clear off the table and Gordon begins the exorcism. Lorraine sees visions of an altar as David has a seizure and his body bends and flexes. It goes quiet and the dishes fly out at the people hitting Father Gordon in the head. David laughs evilly and Ed begins to pray to no effect. David's body flexes into an even more crazy position now. Debbie and, uh, Debbie and Arnie begin to cry out for David. David gets free and tackles Ed to the ground and says, I'll stop your heart, old man, grabbing his chest. Lorraine falls to the ground with a mind-numbing vision. Arnie grabs David and tells the demon to take me. He drops David to the floor and we see him become possessed. Ed sees what happened but can't say anything. He's having a massive heart attack. Lorraine embraces Ed and has him call 911. Close up on Arnie and we get script on this on the screen. This was Ed and Lorraine's most sinister case. The devil made me do it. At the hospital now and the doctor consults them telling them he stabilized. It wasn't a minor heart attack. They put a stent in his heart and more tests needed to see if he's truly all right. In bed with Arnie now and we hear him, we hear him yelling, leave him alone to David. Debbie walks in and he asks why she let him sleep in so late. We hear dogs barking and Arnie asks Debbie, now that David's okay, maybe they should move out of Brookfield. Debbie says, what about my family and us being broke? Debbie tells him that she'll think on it, though. She walks out and tells him to get dressed. We get a walkthrough of the kennel they all work at with Bruno. Debbie tells Bruno the ins and outs. Back at the Glatzels and they're having a barbecue. She asks Arnie to go inside and get the meat tray. He's ecstatic to do it because he's starving. He sees a cereal box shake and fall to the ground on its own. He walks in the room and we see a huge rat run out the box into a hole in the wall. Arnie looks into the hole in the wall. He backs away and turns around and is grabbed by the woman occultist. All right, Brian, that's the first two scenes we got. Go ahead, bro. Yeah, right off the bat, it was so good seeing Patrick and Vera, um, or I mean, Ed and Lorraine again. You know, again, it's just like seeing old friends. I mean, you already have such a connection or, you know, comfort with. Um, I love seeing the Exorcist famous, like little poster scene nod as, as Father Gordon arrived at the house. Um, it was it was cool to see, and I'm not complaining, but I do have to wonder, you know, if that was kind of a director's choice. I mean, I know I know Juan had producing credits and a lot to do with it, but, the, you know, this movie has a lot of nods to other movies like that, um, especially The Exorcist. And, and I don't recall the first two having so many direct. I mean, it's not even nods. I mean, this especially was taken almost exactly and just kind of transferred over. Um, you know, I just wonder if that was a Michael Chavis decision or not. Um, it was a beautiful shot, though, regardless. I, I kind of don't understand the time jump though. I mean, like, is it Arnie, but he sees father Gordon arrive. And then it's like, how long after, I mean, it, it, it almost seems like the middle of the night, like David has been asleep for, for a little while or something. And, and Ed was just adamant about doing the exorcism now and not waiting. So I, I don't really understand. I didn't really understand why they would just kind of let him fall asleep. Um, the shot with the fingers over the shower, Creepy as hell, nicely done. Um, almost had a grudge or a ring, you know, feel to it. Um, a little nitpick though, you know, as the boys being kind of drugged down the stairs and we're getting the claw marks. Um, I think I would have liked to to have seen it like be the 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 child's fingers doing the scratching, because um, it almost had like a Freddy cartoonish type feel to it, as they were like taking him down and you were getting the claw marks, but it really wasn't his hand, you know, just if that makes sense. Um, it just wasn't touching the walls. Just something I would have done differently there. Um, oh, and a little tidbit here. <clears throat> they actually employed a contortionist for the for the scenes with David. You know, he's twisting in knots. 
Um, her name was Emerald Wolf, uh, who was actually 12 years old when they filmed. Uh, there was no special effects added to the movements at all, which was pretty amazing. Um, the only thing they did wow. was put Julian's face on her. So all of those contortions were were, were in camera. Um, uh, Chavis said she did all of that and was able to twist her head around to that position. So I thought that was a pretty cool little tidbit. Um, that girl needs and you know, that girl needs an exorcism in real life. Then what the hell? <laughs> I was gonna say well, uh, she needs to be on the U.S. gymnastics team. <laughs> Judas right. Priest. Um, and lastly, you know, if you listen to the show, you know, I'm a sucker for those one tracking shots. Um, you know, and in this first set of scenes where it's going through the dog boarding house as it's kind of like introducing you to Arnie and Debbie and who, by the way, Roy O'Connor and Sarah Catherine, I think do an amazing job here. I think they have great chemistry. Um, but I want to point out that, that, that one shot that goes from like outside to inside two or three rooms following them. I think it's fantastic. Um, if there were any cuts in there, I didn't see it. It was done perfectly. Um, so I've already talked too much. Great opening. Loved it. Um, I've seen a lot of reviews saying they really didn't care about Arnie, you know, as a character. But I honestly did. And I, I, I really I connected with him. So I liked it. Yeah, I don't get that at all. I'm actually I'm going to get into that, get into that a little bit. Yeah, I uh, I really like this opening scene. I think it's 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 intense. It, you know, we're, we're right into this movie, man. And I think all three conjurings do this really well where they give you a really intense opening scene. Um, I think this is no different. You get an exorcism right off the bat. Uh, you get a little bit of a glimpse into Ed's health condition as well. And I think it's a really, it's a really good way to set the tone for this movie. Um, again, anything involving kids and we touched on that in this show is like 10 times scarier. Uh, there's some actual science behind that. I mean, they've done all kinds of scientific research into that where people just, when it comes to horror movies, get more scared when it comes to kids. And so to see a kid possessed, you know, we've talked about that on this show before, a little bit creepy. Um, and to see the body contort and everything else is is, is some scary stuff. Again, uh, film nerd in me just loves the way these scenes are shot. The lighting is perfect. The way, you know, they kind of move the room a little is really, really good. Um, I love the character work here. I think Ed, you know, we kind of, I kind of touched on in the in the beginning. Ed and Lorraine's chemistry is really really good here, uh, and I love the subtle look as as Arnie is you know talking to it and Ed saying don't talk to it, and you know the kind of transfer of demon that is so subtle, but the way that it's shot, the way to kind of get in on Arnie's face is really really good. Um, I think it's creepy, and the fact that Ed sees it but can't say anything. And we as an audience know, but only Ed really kind of knows what's going on there. I think that's uh, really, really smart, and it's done really well. Um, yeah, I, I, I really get caught up in the characters in this movie. I agree with you, Brian. I care about the character of Arnie because he starts out as a really nice guy that takes care of this kid, or you know, he wants to do what's best for the kid. And I think it, it, it kind of comes through, and you feel bad for Arnie because he kind of took one for the team here in the sense that he took on this demon from a kid. And I think that's pretty admirable. So I agree with you. I think it's, it's, uh, I get into the character of Arnie a lot. And even though this is based on a true story, I try, I'm not gonna, you know, we don't have to touch on the whole true case too much. Cause if we do, it kind of, kind of ruffles the feathers of the actual movie a little bit. But, uh, as far as the actor, you know, between Debbie and Arnie, I think I agree with you, Brian, really good chemistry. And I enjoy this set of scenes. I think it's intense, like I said, and I think 
just like the first two conjurings gets kind of started off with a big hit. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Michael. Um, I really enjoyed how quick everything got moving. Um, and I also kind of um, was really intrigued by the character of Arnie at first because he kind of seems like the odd man out, um, just in the sense that you've got the family and then Ed and Lorraine and then the priest gets there. Um, and then you have the boyfriend. And um, I didn't know anything about the case or anything about that prior to watching. But um, I it was very clear that Arnie was going to have some kind of big role here, whether that be good, bad, ugly, whatever. Um, but I was really intrigued by his character um, just from how these two scenes kind of played out. Yeah. So first off, I love that we start in a shit wrecked house in this one. Like uh, we don't get a build up to the Warrens meeting the family for the first time. We just get right to it. I like that. That was a good change of pace from the first two movies. I felt like, um, because by now we, we know where it's going, right? We know yes. something's going on. They're going to have to contact the Warrens. And so it saved us some time there. Thank God. Um, yes. But yeah, you're right, Brian. It definitely has an exorcist feel. And that's, they, you know, they definitely copied the shot of the priest getting out of the cab when, and the shot from behind with the light shining down on him, looking at the house. Uh, definitely a nod to the exorcist there. I, I, I liked it though. Um, I can appreciate it. Um, I, I do have a question, though. Why the hell did the priest even go to the house if he planned on, like, he took a taxi to the house, but then planned on taking the kid back to the church to do the exorcism? Like, that bothered me when Ed was like, we got to do it now. And he's like, okay, we'll go back to the church. And he's like, no, 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 right here. That bothered me. What the hell is the priest even doing there then? Why didn't they just take the kid to, anyway. Um, and man, the ghost of Wolverine absolutely fucked this house up. You're right, Brian. <laughs> like, it, it wasn't the kid's hand on the wall that was scratching up, but it looked like Wolverine was just running roughshod in there. Now, the thing about it is, though, I kind of have a different view on it than you, Brian, because, yeah, it would have been cool to see like it be the kid's hands. But the way I saw it was the presence, the demon, the evil energy was standing on the, the steps, holding on to the kid and one hand on the kid, one hand on the wall, trying to keep him from going down the stairs. And Ed was, you know, using his force to drag. And so that's where I like the way that, that that's where my mind took it. So I like the way that was shot, actually. Oh, OK. Oh, OK. I kind of just took it as like the demon was inside him. And so he was the uh, but I mean, that makes sense. I didn't yeah. I guess I didn't look at it like that. Yeah. I mean, the demon was obviously inside him, but I, I felt like it was a, a even bigger presence. Like the demon is gotcha. inside and on the outside and just trying to fight. Keep keep him upstairs. Anyway, um the the scene where the shit starts flying out of the cabinet, I can't lie. I kind of felt like an asshole, but when that plate smacked the priest in the head, I laughed my ass off. That that's my kind of humor, man. Like accidental injuries is hilarious to me. Um, yeah, and then obviously I put David's body contortion was creepy as fuck, and I did not know that tidbit that you shared with us tonight. And uh, I'm gonna sleep with the light on, just knowing that people out there exist that can do that. Um. <laughs> The okay, there was a rarity in this film franchise in this opening scenes. So, uh, you know, when Arnie goes inside to get the meat plate, uh, this this franchise doesn't have a lot of false jump scares. It has real jump scares, and those are okay. It's just this right. franchise has a shit ton of them. But the rat coming out of the box, 
I kind of expected him to walk around there be like a cat on the counter or something, but then the rat jumping out of the box is like, come on, like don't do that. But they made up for it by immediately having the crazy bitch standing behind him. So they, they redeemed themselves. It was good opening. Or back at the hospital, Father Gordon visits the Warrens and tells Lorraine she needs to go home and rest. She now tells him the story of how they met. They were 17. She went out with her girlfriends and he was an usher at the movies. And they went out for ice cream and it started to rain. And they hung out under the gazebo until it stopped. That was 30 years ago. She could go back home, but her home is here with him. We see a POV shot of someone watching Arnie in a tree about to cut limbs down. Arnie gets a glimpse of the figure in the window and the saw fires up rapidly and he drops the saw to the ground <laughs> and it pisses off his co-workers, which I don't blame him. Arnie comes home early, not feeling well, and Bruno wants him to fix the stereo and to drink beer with him. Bruno doesn't care, though. He wants to party. Ed wakes up in the hospital and tells Lorraine to call the Glatzels. He tells her, it's got Arnie. Back at the kennel, Bruno jams out to call me and slams a beer in front of Arnie, who clearly looks out of it. The phone rings to so no answer at the kennel. Arnie snatches him up, or excuse me, Bruno snatches him up to dance and he grabs Debbie now to dance. Arnie looks at them and now we see Lorraine calling the police station, warning of a tragedy at the kennel. Arnie splashes water on his face and he hears a scream from Debbie being attacked, but it's not really happening. He snatches her away and they back out the kennel. He now sees red flashing lights and then a fade to black. He sees Bruno crawling rapidly at him and we hear stabbing noises and Debbie yelling stop. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now we see Arnie walking down the road with demonic eyes, and the cop hits a U-turn and asks if he's okay, and his eyes go back to normal. He turns around with blood all over him and says, I think I hurt someone. Now we hear news reports of Bruno's death. 22 stabs, and he's the first death in the 193-year history of the town. Now we see Arnie reading from the Bible with religious statues in front of him to test if he's possessed. The Warrens tell the prison priest he's not possessed at the moment. Arnie asks if he's just crazy. Arnie says he invited this thing into him. Debbie says she was there and whatever happened, it was not Arnie. Lorraine says we're going to help any way we can. We're at Arnie's lawyer now and she isn't going in front of the jury saying that he was possessed by demons. The standards of evidence in the court of law is different than the church. Ed says the court acknowledges God, so why not the devil as well? Ed says come see Annabelle if that doesn't work. We'll, and if it doesn't work, we'll butt out. In court now, and Arnie's lawyer says he's not guilty due to demonic de possession. Ed is wheeled down the stairs, and the lawyer tells Ed and Lorraine the opposition is going for the death penalty. Only their findings can save the kid. She tells Ed, demons don't just leave. We have to find what we missed. All right, Brian, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> Another little fun fact right off the bat here. When, uh, when Ed's in the hospital, you can hear Dr. Marin being paged as a, as yet another little nod to Father Marin and the Exorcist, um, you know. And I thought the buildup with Arnie and the use of sound and tension with the, I mean, you knowing what was coming, but still like you felt the tension building with the loud music and Bruno being drunk, and then you get that total stoppage and silence for like a brief second before Debbie interrupts. Um, again, I thought that was a great use of sound there. Um, I, you know, I thought that I thought, but but is it realistic? I mean. The dude looks like he has the flu. He looks terrible, but they're just acting like, eh, he's normal. He just, you know, you think they tell him, go get your ass in bed or something. But 
Uh, and again, you know, I know things played out a little different in the real report, but I honestly, I don't care about that whatsoever. I'm just looking at this completely from a movie perspective. Agreed. Um, you know, which, you know, and I'm not sure at, see, at this point, I kind of thought, okay, well, we're going to get like, kind of like Conjuring 2, where we're not sure if it's something's really happening to him or not. And so I wasn't sure at this point if I liked them showing like what he saw with the demon or if I would have liked, you know, the like that same angle. Like, is this a demon angle? Is this just him being crazy a little bit more? Um, I, I don't I don't know if I would have liked that or not. But 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 seeing the movie all the way through, um, you know, I didn't mind it. Uh, but at this point in my notes, I was that's what I was thinking. Um, it was interesting to think about the other way anyway. Um, I absolutely love the line that we get in the trailer. Um, you know, and he delivers here that we accept the existence of God in the court of law. Every time a witness swears to tell the truth, um, I think it's about time we accept the existence of the devil. Absolutely brilliantly delivered and written line. Loved it. Um, I think it's absolutely hilarious. The Warrens inviting the lawyer over and you don't see the interaction. You just see her the next day in court. Her eyes are huge. She's scared to death. I, I, li- I started, I laughed out loud for real on that one. Um, another great group of scenes to me. Um, I'm going to say this and it may sound probably like an oversimplification, but I, I like how they add the heart issue to Ed, um, as almost another little handicap to our heroes. Uh, you know, we know the, the more you put your, your heroes in like a peril, the more tension you build. And that's, that's definitely something they do a lot more of in this movie to Ed and Lorraine. And I liked it a lot. Yeah. So, uh, we definitely get a lot more of Ed and Lorraine's backstory in this movie than we typically do. I mean, we know they love each other. We know they have a daughter. Uh, we know some things about them from the other films, but we get a lot more of it in this one, I feel like. Uh, and it's okay. I'm not complaining. It makes the ending very sweet and touching, uh, which we'll get to that. But when you talk about a long runtime and what you can cut, you have to look at something to cut. So I don't know. Maybe just condense that a little bit, if possible. Um, anyway, I love the way that Arnie's possession progressed in this movie. Like uh, we just saw him, he sleeps uh, a sh- you know a very long time, and then he's he's normal, he's fine, and then just little things start freaking out. You know, the lady jump, grabs him in the kitchen, uh, but overall he's fine. He's up in the tree, drops the chainsaw, and he sees her in the window, but she's not there. I like how it then progresses to him. He's got the sweats. He's not feeling well. But man, what an asshole guy is. Uh, what what's his name at the kennel? He's like, yeah, I know you feel like shit. I know you left work early, but drink this beer and dance with me. At like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. God, have some damn compassion and decency. Was but it was it Bruno? I think that Bruno. Was his name. Yeah, Bruno. Bruno. Um, sorry, <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen. I knew that was coming. <laughs> so uh, anyway, then we go back to the hospital. You know, Ed wakes up and he's like, no, no, we got we got to warn him. It's got Arnie. How did she just know to? call him tell him it's going to the kennel like i don't know that that bothered me there was no mention of or if there was i mentioned i missed it but there was no mention beforehand that arnie and uh her live at the kennel or live in that house there so how did he know the exact location she know that we didn't get a flashback or a vision or anything so that that kind of bothered me a little bit maybe they filmed a scene explaining she called around and found out that and it was cut for time purposes but that's one thing they shouldn't have cut if so uh, the look in his eyes when he goes in and out of possession is, I thought that was awesome. 
he's walking down the street and he looks like a fucking character from the walking dead right like he looks yes. like a zombie but yeah. then when the cop talks to him you can see the color come back to his skin you can see his eyes go back to normal that was awesome to me i love how they do that in this movie um it really lets you know like when he's himself and when he's not uh which is helpful uh and then we get an, a new twist on the franchise which i think is awesome you know we watched the first two movies and we think we have a good understanding of how possession works in this timeline, right? Like, uh, they're possessed religious artifacts and Bible repels the devil. We're good. But this one, no, not so fast. They have him read from the Bible while he's sitting there with a the crucifix right beside him and holy water right beside him. And he's un- unfazed. I like that. Cause then you're like, Oh shit, what's going on? Maybe this guy's just a murderous asshole. Maybe he lo- hallucinated that. Um, so I really like at this point, we don't know what's going on, but we do. Uh, and you're, you're trying to piece it together. Where are we going from here? I, I'm really into it at this point. All right. Ed and Lorraine listen back on David's exorcism tapes. Five months earlier, we see the family moving into their home. David goes into a room and sets a box down on a waterbed. He gets on it and begins to jump on it and then falls backwards. And we see the bed shake like someone or something is in it. We see a face beside his body, and he springs up, crawling back off of it. A hand rips out of the bed, grabbing his arm, pulling him onto the bed. He screams and gets free. His parents walk in and hug him. He didn't know what happened, and he wasn't. And his parents didn't believe him. That was his first time seeing it. Debbie doesn't get it, and Ed asks, where was the waterbed? Ed pulls up the carpet, and we see the damage. It's not water damage, he says. Debbie opens up the crawl space, and he says, let me go in so you don't ruin your dress. Lorraine goes into the crawl space and she sees a bunch of rats in one location. She sees a black liquid dripping like on this like sack or whatever. She grabs something and reveals it and she sees more visions. She takes pictures of it and they show Debbie the pictures. It's a witch's totem. David didn't invite the demons. He was cursed. The demon passed into Arnie that night. Ed explains of how this happened. Ed has Drew send pictures out to police departments. Father Gordon, Father Gordon brings up Father Kastner and has the Warrens go visit him to figure out this witch's totem's meaning. Meaning, They make it to Kastner's house and introduce themselves. He asks if they'd like an omelet. And they get a little funny moment where they go to shake hands. They go on the porch and he sees the picture. He says to forget you ever saw this. It's sophisticated. Kastner tells them the why is irrelevant. The sole aim is chaos. He tells them to come with me. He leads him down a spooky set of stairs, and Lorraine is hesitant to go in the room. He says, this is the reason you're here. He collected these while studying the disciple of the ram. Lorraine says she should burn this all up. They worship Satan with blood sacrifices. These acts gave them power. A master Satanist is not an adversary to be taken lightly. He asks if this boy going to prison is worth giving up everything they have. We see an altar now set up for ritual. Back to the prison, and Arnie is mopping up. He knocks the bucket under a bed and they ask if he's going to clean up or not. He crawls under the bed to grab it, but it's snatched away. He backs away terrified. The lights go out and he backs into the bed where the patient is sitting up singing to him. A spirit grabs Arnie by the face and he falls. The guards subdue him and the occultist walks away from the altar. All right, go ahead, Brian. Um, I will say that I don't think that I needed to see David and his family moving into the house here. Um, it was... 
it, I thought that I was going to get what Dustin was referring to earlier uh, when I was first watching this. I thought we were going to get the whole, you know, moving in all the way into starting to have issues and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And I was like, man, I didn't need to see that. But at least they cut it down a little bit. Um, I'm not saying there were bad scenes here. Um, and honestly, I'm not sure how much they would have added if they would have, you know, if they would have been, say, organically at the start, like we said. And But, you know, honestly, I, I mean... Besides some cool visuals um, and the pretty obvious Elm Street 4 Joey water bo- waterbed homage here. But I mean, besides that, I don't think it really added a whole lot. Um, we got everything we needed to know about his possession from the start, in my opinion. Um, it wasn't too long, but just, just me being nitpicky there. Um, Father Kastner's introduction uh, with the uh, I have chicken shit on my hands line. <laughs> it made me laugh. Um, it, it broke some tension that it was kind of throwing at you there. It made you pretty instantly comfortable um, as kind of, I guess, the Warrens were. It made you ready to sit down with them as an audience. Um, I love the writing there. Uh, John Noble has actually been in Lord of the Rings movies, Blacklist, a ton of stuff since the late 70s. Um, his scenes were great, though. Um, you know, asking if saving the boy is worth everything you have. I thought that was a great line. Uh, Cinema Blend actually interviewed uh, Chavis and said that they went back during the reshoots and uh, made Kastner's role a lot bigger uh, because of how well Noble's performance was liked. Um, Enough that they actually cut out a big other part, which I'll get to it later, which might have been have made Nico like it a lot more because it was it was more demon centric and and more like the other two. So, um, you know, I'll kind of touch touch on that a little bit. Um, and, you know, I know we got a glimpse of her earlier, but we got a little bit better of a shot of her here in this group of scenes. But Eugenie Bondurant, friend of the show, Eugenie Bondurant, um, does an amazing job playing the cultist. Uh, go listen to her interview over at uh, don'tgooutthere.com or wherever you're listening to us right now. Um, that's all I really had on this group of scenes. The mop bucket encounter uh, w- was jump scary, you know, if that's a word. Uh, well, it is now. But we're we're venturing outside of the you know, the quote haunted house more in this movie. Um, you know, I like that. There's a fun fact about that exact thing. And it was, it was really the, the big pitch from Juan to, to Vera and Patrick to, to get them on board with doing this one. Um, but, but I really like that. I, I know, I know some may not, um, but I do, you're not recycling the same things from the past movies. Um, so far I, I really love this movie. Yeah. So, uh, before I go, I want to touch on some, so, Mike and Kat are having some technical difficulties right now. That's the reason they didn't touch on the last set of scenes. And I'm going to go ahead and go here while they try to sort those out. Hopefully they can rejoin us in a second. But I wanted to let everyone know why uh, why they're not being vocal right now. But on this set of scenes, yeah, I agree with you, Brian. Like there's just some shit that I thought the same thing. When they said we got we to gotta go back to the start to find out how he was cursed. And then they actually go back to the start with them moving in the house. I thought, son of a bitch. They had me at the first. I thought, all right, we're not going to have to see this backstory. And then here's this damn backstory. But they didn't make it that long. They just showed you, you know, the waterbed shit and then the spot on the floor. But I completely agree with you. That's something that could have been addressed, uh, like mentioned. Have uh, have them tell Ed and Lorraine. Yeah, he was in his be- in the bedroom. There was a waterbed. He was on it. Felt like something grabbed him through the waterbed. The waterbed bu- busted and it caused this black spot. That's all you had to do. That's just a lot quicker than seeing that long scene. That being said, I thought the scene was very well acted by uh, the kid that that played David, and I thought I liked the way that it was shot. But it's just this movie's 
almost two hours long. Like you could have cut that out. Um, and then when they go, uh, they go and meet the father there, uh, caster, man, that, that guy's awesome. I laughed too. When he said, when caster, when he said, I've got chicken shit on my hands, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, you know, little, little moments like that really make me appre- appreciate them more in a movie. So dark that this movie doesn't have a lot of things you can laugh at the priest getting hit in the face with the plate and chicken shit on the hands. <laughs> I will laugh when I can. Um, that being said, when they go inside and he's like, I want to show you guys something. And he takes him down to his fucking devil room. What the fuck is that about? Who's got a devil room like that? Um, Ed but, Lorraine. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's true. Uh, when he goes down there and he's shown him this, the gravity of his words is just like, holy shit, man. Like there's a lot of embellishment going on. Um, you know, Hollywood speaking about, well, at least I like to think that about like Satanists and their powers and, and everything that that's, that's a, that's good script writing, but I, at least I choose not to believe that the, that shit's true, that they have that right. much power, but, <laughs> right. uh, but man, just the, the quote that you, you touched on when he said, uh, you know, is saving this boy worth losing everything because that's what it might cost. Like, Holy shit, man, that's some past, some heavy to quote, uh, Marty McFly. That's heavy. Um, and there's not a problem with the gravity in the future. So <laughs> I knew you'd like that, Brian, but yeah, it's, it. it's another good set of scenes at, at this point. Uh, it's just, this is a chunk that I feel like could have been condensed for runtime sake. All right. Back at the Warrens, the parent family sends over some flowers and they get a call from Drew that they got a bite. Danvers, Massachusetts, the Warrens meet with a cop. I wrote cop agent, one of those two. Katie Lincoln and Jessica Strong went missing four months ago and were best friends, and Katie was stabbed 22 times, and they still haven't found Jessica. They found a witch's totem in her house when they searched it. He tells the Warrens he's only interested in grounds of reality. Lorraine says, let's help each other. We need the file, and you need the missing girl. Lorraine says she can see things that other people, that your people can't. The agent tests Lorraine by making her pick the knife used to murder Katie Lincoln. Ed is pissed at this. She's not a sideshow attraction, he says. But Lorraine picks the correct one as the two argue. They drive out to the woods, and he says it's a one in three chance. And then she points out he missed a turn where they found Katie's body. So he hits a U-turn. Back to the prison, Debbie and David visit Arnie. She asks what's going on, but he lies saying nothing. She knows he's keeping something from her. David now converses with Arnie about remembering what it felt like being possessed. You're always cold and you fit, never feel alone and it's never quiet in your head. And she asks Arnie what it's telling him to do. Back to the woods and Lorraine stops at a spot. Something terrible happened here, Ed. It fades to nighttime as she touches the earth. She sees hands behind a tree and the two girls run from, run from behind it. Lorraine begins to follow the girls running. Jessica gives Katie a gift from the festival they went to and we see a possessed Jessica stabbing Katie over and over with Vera performing it in like real time. Ed grabs her, and she runs off into the woods. Ed chases Lorraine, and she stops at the edge of a cliff over the water. Ed grows weary from his heart attack, but continues the chase. Lorraine turns around and is grabbed by the demon and pulled over the cliff, but Ed catches her and pulls her up. Lorraine tells uh, Ed and the agent that Jessica's body is down there. The paramedic gives Ed a pill, and Lorraine gives him an evil stare, 
because he didn't take his medication. The agent tells the Warrens that they found the body. He says he'll get the file to them in the morning. All right, go ahead, Brian. Um, you know, and this is almost where it gets a little bit Law and Order SVU ish, or or the mm-hmm. first true or the first True Detective season, which organically totally makes sense here. Um, and I love those shows, and uh, especially the first season True Detective. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Oh my god! Um, but uh, I, so I'm fine with it. Um, you know, the, the thing that you know, and Dustin touched on this a little bit earlier, but the thing that I'm not the biggest fan of is how much they delve into and kind of use Lorraine's visions in this one. Um, it, it, like you said, it's organically probably the best move. I mean, we're in the third movie. You're going to need to expand on all these things, but it's just, it's, it's definitely used way more, but it's almost like used as like a superhero or something. I don't know. It just, to me, it loses a little something I feel when it's just used too much to drive the plot. And that's just my personal opinion. I just think like the whole visions thing is, is, is better when it's like sparsely used and just barely, you know, barely used here. It's, it's, it's used a lot. Um, the effects used on the scene where Lorraine and Ed are in the cop or, or on the woods, everything goes pitch black. I thought that looked tremendous, looked fantastic. Obviously this was used in the trailer, um, which I kind of touched on with Nico a little bit um, before I'd even watched the movie, just, you know, how much they really put in the trailer. I think, and now watching the movie, I think they put too much in it. Um, you know, and again, I really like the heart attack still plaguing Ed, um, even just running through the woods, adding more, more and more to that scene, you know, just just hanging. And, and you know, the hanging off the cliff was was again, it was cool to look at. It was a great visual, but it felt too out of place to me in a conjuring movie. Again, a little too superhero y, if, if I can use that made up word. Uh go ahead. Yeah, I agree. Uh so I like I like the callback that we get from the to the first Conjuring movie. So when they get the flowers at their house from the whatever the name of the family was, apparently that was the uh, the name of the family from the first Conjuring film. So I thought that was a cool little throwback there. Um, okay. But you know the rest of this set of scenes. So the missing girl storyline to me, well, could have been cut, condensed. Yeah. Like it went on way too long. Especially like I said. My main gripe with this movie, if you can't tell, is the damn runtime. And they spent a lot of time and energy in this set of scenes on that sub storyline that really, okay, I can see it had a point, but really was unnecessary, uh, irrelevant. And here's the thing. If I'm a cop, I'm probably looking at Lorraine a little bit sideways here. You call the cops, (laughs) letting them know, hey, there's going to be a tragedy at this location. Okay, that was earlier in this film. And then right now you're you have these quote unquote visions and you say, Hey, her body's down there. Okay. All right. Now let's relax a little bit. And, uh, her powers, if you want to call them that, like you said, I do like that they're expanded, but in this set of scenes and really overall, uh, she reminds me of Lorraine reminds me of two people merged into one. So I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, the dead zone, there's a Stephen King movie that they made into a TV show. Uh, main character's name is Johnny Smith, played by Christopher Walken and Anthony Michael Hall in the TV show. And then it was like his character from The Dead Zone mixed with Detective Adrian Monk from the television show Monk. Like the way they just touch things and <laughs> have these visions and can solve the case without actually doing anything. Like, come on, that's a little bit over the top there. Uh, last thing I want to touch on is since she didn't get a shout out at the beginning of the show, 
Ingrid Bisu, I know that writer James Wan is your husband, but you can call me sometime. She played Jessica in this movie, and she is fine as frog hair. Go ahead, Nico. <laughs> yeah, days after Ed's massive heart attack, he became 11 from Stranger Things. Anywho, <laughs> uh, <laughs> back at the hotel, and Ed gets a call from Debbie. It followed Arnie, and he tells Debbie to call the prison priest, and their connection, their phone connection goes out. Back at the prison in uh, Arnie's cell, the priest shows up and gives him holy water. God gives everyone the right to defend themselves, he tells him. This demon isn't here of its free will, Lorraine says. It's a curse, and curses can be broken. She touched David's hand, and she saw something. She says if that body is Jessica, the connection could still be open. Arnie is sitting in his bed, terrified, and he pours the holy water in a circle on the floor as he prays and sits in the middle of it. The Warrens get to the morgue, but no one's there. Ed breaks the glass, letting themselves in. Ed turns the time light on, and they search for Jessica's possible body. They find the waterlogged body, and Lorraine grabs her hand. She doesn't see anything at first. Then she squeezes tighter, and she tells Ed the connection is here. She walks out the curtains and through this tunnel, and she hears a train. Ed asks what she sees. She says she sees stairs, a train, and now an altar with 12 black candles in a circle. It's a woman. She's reaching out to Arnie to complete the curse. We see Arnie crush the holy water container. Arnie goes to cut his wrist. Lorraine yells for it to stop, and a guard finds Arnie. Lorraine and the occultist meet. How are you doing this, she asks. The connection works both ways, she tells Ed. The light goes out. Ed walks to turn the light back on, and he notices the large man's body is up from the morgue table. He tells Lorraine she needs to come back. The body runs at Lorraine now, but Ed runs to Lorraine, snatching her away from the body. The man falls to the floor. She knows who we are, Ed. Back to the Warren's house, and they hug Debbie. Drew has something to show Ed. They read in a book about human sacrifice. To break the curse, you have to break the altar the curse came from. Lorraine tells of things from her vision to find the altar. Ed stands up to check out the file and passes out. Ed is in his bed now and wakes up and walks down the hall. He sees a mess on his floor and the door to outside is open. He calls for, for Lorraine and finds her bracelet. He hears a noise and the occultist is behind him in another room. You're so close, she tells him, and she fades away. He sees the big man's body from the morgue. It runs at him, but Ed prays and fights him off and goes to stab him, but Drew grabs his arm. It's actually Lorraine. It was her, Lorraine says. She was here and in our house. Ed looks in his office, and Lorraine notices some decayed, like, charred flowers. They were fresh yesterday. Ed drops the vase to the ground, and a witch's totem is inside it. The next day, they're back to the drawing board. Lorraine is going to get the book translated. She tells Debbie to be with Arnie, and Ed and Drew are going to dive into the files. The priest tells Debbie they've stopped Arnie's sedation as he's bound to the bed. Ed asks, isn't it weird that Jessica lived 180 miles from the Warrens and Glatzels? They asked where Jessica found her totem. She found it in a box in college in Fairfield, which was right by them. This woman lives in the area. They start to pick out the correct freight line. And I wrote, Ed is terrified. And the next two scenes are the ending. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I don't really have a a uh, whole lot on this scene. Um, I, I, dis- I noted, this is stupid, but, you know, hit the, the whole holy water thing. That was way, way more holy water in that little, little, uh, little vase that could have uh, then then went around him in that circle. 
Plus, you could tell that they used like glue or something to kind of give it that wet look. Uh, it looked a little bit too different. Anyway, that's just totally me being nitpicky and dumb. Um, hey, man, <laughs> Lorraine you know, Hol- hang on just a second here. Don't question holy water. This is religion we're talking about here. <laughs> Jesus fed, fed the masses with five loaves of bread and two fish. So don't, you know, looks can be quantities can be deceiving sometimes. So, well, while we're on that, if you're if you have a demon inside of you, I think you should drink it. I mean, that's just me. I'm just like, hey, if it's inside of you, mm. it's like salt water. You know, wouldn't you want to gargle that shit and, and get get the thing out? Of you? I don't know. That's a good point. Anyway, anyway, um, Lorraine holding that nasty wet hand at the morgue. It's fucking disgusting. <laughs> it made me cringe. Um, speaking of that, did you guys ever wonder why morgues like this, why they're square? It's because of all the uh, <laughs> corners. <laughs> anyway <laughs> all right so anyway a lot of uh a lot of good tension anyway in the morgue scenes um great use of sound with the cane uh i thought his ed is walking through his house when you when you aren't sure if he's still asleep or awake i thought just the the clank 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 i thought that was awesome um and again you know seeing eugenie is is just it's so weird though like again having talked with her and interviewed her on the show. She's such a sweet and just super nice person. It's definitely weird seeing her as like a bad guy or, well, I guess a cultist. But uh, that's how I really had on the scene. Yeah, I don't have a ton on this set of scenes either. You know, it's just this vision was okay with me because, uh, you know, on the last set of scenes, I was kind of shit on a little bit because I think I was just more annoyed with how far in depth they took the missing girl storyline. But this one was okay to me. Like her, she actually physically touched the, the body there, the dead body, and there was a connection. I, I get that. That's fine. I'm fine with that. That's that's what I meant when I said I like how her character is expanded here. Um, I this whole encounter is very intense. Like when Lorraine, when Lorraine and the, the occultists come face to face, and there in the morgue when she almost got her there, and then they go back to the house. And then Ed almost stabbing Lorraine. I mean, damn, you want to talk about a butt puckering moment. And so this set of scenes is, I, I really enjoyed this set of scenes. I just didn't take a lot of notes. Maybe I was just so into it that I'm like, all right, we're getting somewhere. I can feel the uh, the climax coming. God damn, that sounded one. a lot more perverted yeah. than I meant for it to. <laughs> damn, but, that's pervert, man. My bad, my bad. But uh, <laughs> I done lost my train of thought. Anyway, I can feel the... Uh, the finale is upon us and it's not getting any better. So I'm just going to stop talking. Go ahead, Nico. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here's the ending. Lorraine gets back to father Kastner's house to translate this passage for us. Ed leaves and has Drew send police. Kastner says it needs three victims, a child lover and a man of God, a man of God, purity, love, faith. Lorraine tells him it's Ed. They found a totem in his office. Kastner says to follow him, there's something I need to show you. Back down the creepy staircase and the priest sits in the dark, then reveals himself to Lorraine. He shows Lorraine a book with pictures of his daughter. Mother died in childbirth and he raised her in secret. He studied into the occult, but created a fascination with his daughter. The priest prays over Arnie and the lights flicker. He And he blames the wiring. Arnie is sweating and says she's close as he trembles. Lorraine calls him out for him knowing what's going on the whole time. He tells her he didn't want to see, and he thought she'd come back. She lives in the tunnels under this land. The altar must be down there. Destroying it is the only way to break the curse. The floor creaks, and they realize she's here. Kastner lets Lorraine into the tunnels 
<laughs> and Jigsaw closes the door behind her. <laughs> Kastner sees his daughter and she approaches him. He puts a gun on his desk. He says he's failed at being a priest and being a father. Then she disappears behind him, slitting his throat. Lorraine sees in her vision of his death as she continues to wander the tunnels. Lorraine hits a light switch and finds the altar. She tries to flip it over, but it's too heavy. The occultist enters the room with Lorraine. Ed arrives and calls out her name. She yells for him, and he finds a sledgehammer to break the lock into the cellar. Lorraine runs, calling for Ed, and falls over, and now she sees a double of herself that mimics her movements. The occultist now tack like gets on top of her on the ground, trying to stab her face with a knife. And then Lorraine grabs a rock, hitting her face, and she runs off. Ed gets into the tunnels, and he sees Lorraine run towards him, but it's the occultist who blows something in his eyes and takes over his body. The occultist is back at her altar, lighting the candles. Ed swings a sledgehammer at Lorraine, and we see Arnie's body begin to shake violently, and he screams. Lorraine cries out for Ed to stop, and Arnie breaks free from the handcuffs, and his body twitches and bends. Lorraine leads Ed down the halls, and she says, Ed, please remember me, as they have flashbacks to when they first met. Arnie's body crawls away and levitates. The priest continues to pray as Arnie holds a piece of glass to his neck. Debbie, like, jumps and grabs his arm, stopping him as she hangs on. They make it to the altar, the altar room, and she says she thinks our love is our weakness, but it's our strength. She tells Ed to open his eyes, and he smashes the altar with a sledgehammer. Arnie's body falls to the ground, and he's back to normal, and he hugs Debbie. The occultist walks in the room with Ed and Lorraine, and he says the curse is broken. Her body twitches and breaks, and the demon comes in killing her, taking her soul back to hell. Ed and Lorraine crawl out the cellar, and he forgot his pills, but she gets one out from her locket and gives it to him. Happy music plays as cops arrive. Ed places, you know, a souvenir or whatever from the the uh, from the event in their evidence room. We see Arnie arrive to court, and he's harassed by the press as Debbie makes her way through the crowd to kiss him. On November 24th, 1981, Arnie was found guilty of manslaughter and got five years in prison and he married Debbie while serving his sentence. Ed surprises Lorraine with a gazebo of their own in their backyard. They embrace and share a kiss as the end credits roll. It ends with real footage of the Warrens and David, Glatzel, David Glatzel's actual exorcism tapes. What did you think of the ending, Brian? Um, I liked it. Um, you know, Kastner, I think they did a good job of kind of making him, you know, a red herring almost. Um, at me, at least, I thought he was actually involved um, you know, right up until obviously we found out he wasn't, but, um, great throat slash on Kastner spoiler alert. That's my favorite kill. Um, but it's not a lot to choose from, uh, but throat slash gotta love it. Top notch, top notch throat slash there. I'm liking it. Um, and props to the set designers. Um, I don't know why it stood out to me so much, but the set on that whole altar, I thought it looked tremendous. Like the effect shot with the, with the, with the three Lorraines, I thought that looked good too. Um, going back to the altar though, I, I don't really, you know, I don't know how she got those huge gigantic stone. Uh, maybe, maybe it's made her, that's right. The demon made her stronger. So maybe she just went and picked up some stones. Um, I don't know. Those things were heavy. Those things were heavy as hell. And uh, I don't, I don't, you know, if you don't look into the logistics on how she got them down there, they looked fantastic set wise. Um, you know, Ed with that uh, sledgehammer, Definitely talk about homages to film. Definitely gave you a shining vibes uh, for sure. Um, you know, overall, I like the ending. 
you know, it's your typical conjuring ending, you know, it's big. Um, it's a little less supernatural, you know, than, than normal. Um, but you know, that's what I was kind of getting into a little bit earlier. Um, cinema blend actually had that, uh, interview with, with, um, with, uh, Chavis and he, he talked about, you know, that there was a decision or whatever to cut a lot of material to, to add more John Noble's character. Um, you know, they explained the decision while also being careful not to give away too many details. Chavis noted that one aspect from the sequel that made the idea exciting was the fact that, uh, it was a different kind of movie than the conjuring, the conjuring Two. So, you know, you, there's there's still a visit to the artifact room, but you don't have a, an evil like uh, and I'm not the the uh, the um, demons names are listed. And yeah, I, sorry, I'm not saying that shit. I'm not that stupid. I'm in my house. Hell no, I'm not saying those names. But uh, anyway, that they, they make the conclusion feel a little bit bit uh, special. You know, they had they had a more of a significant demonic presence, though, before that, that they cut out and. Uh, you know, and a part of that was to try to make that this a different movie than the previous Conjurings. Um, the whole aim of it was to was to kind of surprise people and, you know, to kind of take the Warrens and the franchise in a little bit different directions. So, you know, by doing that, they all had a plan and couldn't fit, you know, the whole demonic part in, in there. So I don't know, like I said earlier, if that's maybe would have made Nico like the movie a little bit more or not. Um, I don't know. I, I really liked the way that they did it. I like everything about this movie, really. Um, there's a, you know, it's it's not perfect, but uh, but I, I loved it as a as as another entry in the franchise. Yeah, I can agree with that for sure. Uh, so, my thoughts on the ending here is that I was a little annoyed. At, it seemed a little lazy. Now, you mentioned this earlier, and I want to say it right now, so that anything I say uh, is not that's not consistent with what happened isn't taken the wrong way. I don't care what really happened. I don't care about the real case. I'm looking at this as a movie, as the conjuring three, as a, you know, loosely based on a true story. So right for my satisfaction, if this is really how it happened, they should have changed it. I thought it was a little bit lazy of them to be like, Oh, we need to go back to Kastner. I need him to translate this. Cause he's the only person alive that can translate this. And they get there and he's like, Oh yeah, that's my daughter. Her tunnels are downstairs. And then her tunnels, that's probably where her altar is. I just have no idea. That's, that's bullshit to me a little bit. Uh, I hate that her, her, uh, shrine or altar, whatever you want to call it. I hate that that shit was under his house, uh, this whole time that really irritated me. But that being said, man, this ending was exciting, right? I mean, you want to talk about tense, you had, like you said, a great throat slash. I thought the effects on that were fantastic. Uh, the the uh, tense uh, encounters between the Oculus Lady and Ed and Lorraine, like, man, holy shit, you're just on the edge of your scene, uh, seat the whole time there when Lorraine is pleading to him, just remember me, remember me. Uh, and then you get the flashbacks again. Uh, it's It's... It'll keep your attention if nothing else. I mean, and that's what that's the biggest sin a movie can have is being boring, right? And this one is definitely not boring. So I, I applaud them for that. I thought that, uh, you know, the actual ending with uh, the him giving her the gazebo and gazebo. How do you say that word? Gazebo. Uh, yeah, that's it. God, what's wrong with me? <laughs> but, uh, you know, that in the backyard. I thought that's what I was talking about earlier. That's why the flashback to the 
Ed and Lorraine, how they met, that makes it okay that we got that at the beginning of the movie because it's really a touching moment to see the look right. on their eyes uh, when they're, you know, it's just a sweet moment. Um, God, I feel soft even saying that. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's a really, and I, I actually laugh because I didn't want this movie to have a feel good ending. I don't, you know, I just, I wanted there to be some bad come out of it. Sometimes you need that in a movie. And then when you see the altar get smashed and Arnie's released and Ed doesn't kill Lorraine, like they live happily ever after you're like, well, shit, everything worked out. It was a little bit too fairy tale for me. And then you get the, uh, the text come across the screen that no, 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 he was charged with manslaughter. Like that, that made me laugh too. Cause I thought right. everybody's going to get off scotch free and they're like, nah, his ass went to jail for five years. <laughs> like, that was funny <laughs> to me. So, uh, but overall, like I said, I didn't go into this with the same expectations as a lot of people did. And so, uh, taking that into, uh, to taking account for that, I was pleased with this movie. I thought it was a good addition. Yeah. And I didn't really talk about it, but the occultist, um, when, when that demon kind of tears her a new one, like at the end, just kind of twists her all up and stuff. That was, that was a really cool scene. That was yeah. really, you know, I, I liked that. It was good. Any more final thoughts before we jump into a fan question and fun facts? No, sir. Let's go. All right. Uh, legendary blood donor, Sean Irwin, he, he commented on Facebook saying, I thought this movie was better than the second, but still not as good as the first. My question is, did you think this movie was more intense and scary? And I'll, I'll just answer it first. I'll be honest with you, Sean. I didn't think it was intense or scary. Go, go ahead, Brian or Dustin, whoever's ready. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there were definitely some intense scenes. Um, I don't think that uh, any of them are scary, honestly. Um, so, uh, I, but there are definitely tense scenes in all three of them. And I, I think that there was uh, tense ones in this one. Yeah, so I don't think it was uh, as scary for me personally. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a bitch and I was afraid of the first two movies by no means. I eat, you know, bowls and nails for breakfast. But <laughs> those movies deal with entities possessing people where this one, you actually had a physical woman who was hexing these people. Right. It's a little bit different right. for me. It's a little bit more tangible. Uh, tangent. I, you know, I could reach out and touch this woman and punch her in the face if I need to. So... That takes the uh, scary factor down a bit for me. I definitely think it did have its tense moments. Of course, I touched on that uh, because you don't you think that Ed's going to kill Lorraine. You think that Lorraine's going to run off the side of a cliff. Uh, so there's some tense moments, and I I thought it was a good movie. Um, I can't necessarily get on board with Sean's assessment of where this one ranks out at the three. That's but Sean and I disagree often. So I will say I thought fine. the. the <laughs> oh, yeah. I missed that part of the I question. I think the uh, I think the beginning was. Uh, the beginning was a little bit intense, but the rest of the movie didn't. It didn't hit that way for me. Uh, I got a few fun facts I'll read from IMDb. Uh, Lorraine Warren, played by Vera Farmiga in the Conjuring movies, died a natural death, age ninety-two, on April eighteenth, twenty nineteen. She had been a head consultant on all the Conjuring projects and an avid follower of the series. Uh, Julian Hilliard is the third child star from The Haunting of Hill House to act in a Conjuring movie, preceded by Lulu Wilson, Annabelle Creation 2017, and McKenna Grace, Annabelle Comes Home 2019. All three played younger versions of the Crane siblings. And Haunted, The Haunting of Hill House is a great show if y'all haven't watched it, so go watch that. James Wan remarked that with The Conjuring 3, they wanted to get out of the haunted house set up. 
which was a subgenre of the previous two films. Uh, the Devil Made Me Do It takes a major turn in this regard. Uh, I only got two more. Vera Farmiga, who plays Lorraine Warren, described the experience of returning to play the character as coming back to the family. She further joked, I love working with this guy, referencing to her on-screen husband and close friend Patrick Wilson. And the last one I have is the working title of the movie was plainly The Conjuring 3. However, later it was changed to The Devil, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It as a direct reference to the infamous 1981 Arnie Johnson trial. And I believe you two said you have no fun facts, so go ahead, Mike, with the budget money, Mike. Yeah, so uh, The Conjuring 3 had a budget of $40 million, and opening weekend it made uh, upwards of $57 million. It came at number one, beating out A Quiet Place 2 from the week before, and it beat out Corella, uh, which finished number three. So pretty uh, pretty solid debut for the horror genre and, and The Conjuring franchise, which I, if I had a guess, this would probably be the last one. All right, I'll go ahead and do my rating now. Uh, favorite kill, I didn't write down a lot for this, but favorite kill was Kastner's throat slit, and my least favorite was the Bruno off-screen stabbing. I will say that it was kind of nice to have some kills in a Conjuring movie because the first and second one, I can't remember seeing any kills, just a lot of jump scares and you know all that. Okay, here here's a little synopsis I wrote, and bear with me, I wrote a lot because y'all know I'm a giant fan of the the first two movies. So this was a film I was highly anticipating. This isn't a bad film, but it was disappointing to me after two watches. The Conjuring 2 was one of my all-time favorite horror movies. This was a huge step down from the second, in my opinion. This film following two different cases didn't allow me to sympathize with any of the characters outside of Ed and Lorraine. Speaking of them, yes, they were great, but I even felt like their relationship was forced more. You don't have that Ed singing scene in or the ending trying to save Janet where you feel their relationship. Uh, I thought the exorcism theatrics were a bit much, albeit kind of fun to watch. Uh, The jump scares were extremely predictable, and I didn't feel much tension like the first two. Was this a bad film? Absolutely not. However, I hold the Conjuring movies to an extremely high standard. Uh, I gave this a seven and a quarter. Yes, lower than films such as Bride of Chucky, which this was made better, but I didn't enjoy this like I had hoped. I think Vera Patrick and friend of the show, Eugenie Bondurant, did a phenomenal job. I do think this franchise right now to me is suffering from that monotony now through, like, uh, for example, Insidious through three films. The third film in that franchise isn't bad, but it didn't bring anything new. If there is a fourth Conjuring, I hope they go back to the core of the first two. Worth a watch, but nowhere near as good as the first two, especially the second. To me, this felt more like a Conjuring Universe film instead of a Conjuring film. And whoever wants to go next can go ahead. Yes, yeah, so my favorite Phil is Kastner. Uh, a lot like Brian, I am a sucker for good throat slash. Uh, my least favorite was Bruno. Not really a good reason why. I just, there's not a lot to choose from and just kind of, you know, stab, 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 <laughs> even though I enjoy the Scream franchise that, you know, just the way it is. Um, yeah, so... Like I said in my opening, I like this movie a lot. The character arcs of Ed and Lorraine have, you know, over the three films are great. I enjoyed the plot. Uh, and I actually like the use of the satanic rituals. It's probably everyone's surprise. It's very 80s with, you know, the satanic panic, even though this is the early 80s. Uh, I like the use 
of of the you know evil woman and i like to reveal this casino's daughter the whole time like i think that's a really cool little twist on it um and i you know mentioned it in my opening is you know as well as Catherine, where i like that lorraine takes over this movie as the main person uh her story her character arc is really the the livelihood of this film and i think it shows the way they just you know her focal point on her skills it means so much more to this movie than it has in the previous two. Um, I love how, you know, the uh, woman is in control of Arnie in the scenes inside the prison hospital with Arnie, Debbie, and the priest, some of my favorite in the franchise. Yeah. I think they're really well shot, really, really spooky, really, uh, just it's really well done. The effects are great there. Um, it's not a perfect movie by any means. There's some predictable dialogue and some stuff that takes me out of it. The, you know, like the... <laughs> Like touching the dead guy's hand, that doesn't really do anything for me, but I don't know. I guess that's just kind of the skeptic in me. Overall, it's a solid wrap to a really, really, really good franchise uh, that doesn't have any bad films in it, at least in my opinion. Uh, I would have to give this movie an 8.5. It would be a 9, but uh, the runtime is a little bit of a killer. So uh, 8.5 for the country. Um, I'll go ahead and go. It's, I'm quick. Um, you know, I have the same... same uh, favorite kill or at least favorite kill as uh as nico and i kind of said it during the thing um you know and i've kind of talked on on my thoughts on this film again i really liked it uh you know the the whole basis of the entire or the i guess the the foundation of the entire franchise which is to me just these three movies <clears throat> is uh is ed lorraine's relationship and uh you know and the chemistry between uh patrick and vera and and you know, I don't I don't think that lost anything here. You know, I had some nitpicks, um, but again, I enjoyed it being a little bit different. Um, you know, I, I do. You know, I, I may not feel the same way that Nico does about the first two, um, but I really love them. And, you know, I hated that I waited for the almost exact same reason as Dustin uh, so long in my life to watch them. Um, I really, I really enjoyed the first two movies. Um, and this one didn't really disappoint me. Like I said, I'm I'm. I saw that it was going in a different direction and, and I was okay with it. It, it, it wasn't so drastic to me that it took me out of it. Um, so I, like I said, I rated the other two at 8.5 and a 9.5 and, uh, and I'm just going to give this an 8.5. I'm going to put it right there with, uh, with the first one and, 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 you know, in the second one, I really enjoyed, I really enjoy these three movies and I really enjoy this franchise and I'm trying to think right off the top of my head, um, you know, another trilogy, that's that's this good um, in the horror genre, but hell, there's not that many just trilogies. So um, anyway, that that's that's me. Okay, yeah. So I had the uh, the same favorite and least favorite kills. You guys, I mean, when there's only two, of course yeah. we're going to agree on them. When one is an awesome throat slash, and the other is off screen, basically. Um, so you know, my general thoughts. I've kind of said them throughout the show. I came into this low expectations or no expectations, really. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by the franchise. I was not let down by either of the sequels, which is tough to do. When you make a, a movie that's a really good movie, and then you say, well, let's keep going. Let's capitalize on this success. And you make a sequel. And then it turns out to be good. And you're like, okay, let's keep going. A lot of times you end up with The Godfather 3. And this time you didn't. Like I think all three movies... They they do get uh, I don't want to say it like this, but a little worse, and that's no fault of the movie makers. Just the, the first one set a high bar in my book. 
So I have them in that order. One, then two, then three. So like I told you guys at the start of the show, I gave the first one an eight and a half, the second one an eight, which Nico, when I texted him that, he said, geez, that's basically a 10 and a nine and a half coming from you. Ha ha. I'm a little tough, but those, uh, those are high marks in my book. And I gave this one another high mark. I gave it a seven and seven, seven point seven five. So I thought it's a really good movie. That's got a lot of rewatchability. It's just tad long. That's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're laboring while watching it. And uh, so, yeah, 7.75, and that puts our composite score with Cats 9 uh, and 8.2. And IMDb is at 6.5 right now. Well, they what the hell do they know? Uh, I really am not trying to, like, you know, whine too much, but I thought of two other things that bothered me. Like, like y'all were mentioning with uh, the tense scene between Patrick and Vera at the end. It's like, you know that he's not going to kill her, so, like, it didn't do anything for me. And I also thought that it was kind of, I didn't like that they just gave Lorraine a new power because I don't remember in the first or second where she could touch stuff and see things. Like, I don't remember that. I felt like they just turned Lorraine into Theo from Haunting of Hill House, who once she touches something, she sees what comes with it. No, I de- she definitely had that, uh, that was definitely played upon in the second one, at least because remember in the second one, when she goes downstairs and she's in the basement and she sees Ed get stabbed and she sees, even sees the tree that goes through his chest. Um, she definitely has those kind of visions. It's just not as amplified as it is. in no, this movie. No, I know about the visions, but I don't remember anything in the first or second where she touches something. Oh, you know, like physical it. touch. Yeah. Like, you okay. know, she touched the earth and she saw Katie and Jessica's or whatever, the whole murder scene and yeah, all that. She touches David. Like that felt just like a rip off of Theo's character from haunting of Hill house. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm nitpicking. I still gave it a seven and a quarter, but that's still just a big drop off to me from the first two, but it's not terrible. I, I encourage everybody to go watch it and form your own opinion. Uh, any final thoughts before we uh, give a shout out to some blood donors and announce our pick for next week? No, let's do it. I just want to give a quick shout out to some uh, our blood donors. We really appreciate all of your support. It means the world to us that you, you know, donated money to us to help us fund this podcast. It means a lot to us. Our legendary blood donors are Miss Joe Swinford, who was on for her film pick Disturbia a couple weeks ago. Mr. Sean Irwin, Mr. Matt Sears, uh, Miss Shan Petrusevich, who will be on next week when we announce our movie pick. Uh, Miss Michelle Mirza, who just picked From Dust Till Dawn. That was a fun movie. And we got a new legendary blood donor, my guy, Austin Graham. Really appreciate that, my man. Uh, Dream Warriors, the blood donors, Miss Tasha Reed and Hunter Nelson, my guy, Hunter. And some camp counselor blood donors, Mickey McCrane and friend of mine, uh, Jared Summers. Appreciate y'all and all your support. It means a lot to us. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. Thank you. And I'll go ahead and announce our pick for next or the film review for next week. We're taking on a big one, uh, listeners. Ooh, taking on a I'm big worried. one. I'm worried about it. I'm worried about it. Nah, don't be worried. We're taking on some big ones. We can handle this one. Oh, we this are taking on 1975's the horror, arguably one of the best horror movies of all time in the in the in the genre. Jaws. Yeah, the first the first PG rated horror movie that we've ever done. I think I know we've done PG thirteen, but I don't think we've done PG. Oh, that's a good point. I don't know. 
but yeah, we're taking on Jaws, a, a daunting task, but uh, it's going to be awesome to have uh, Miss Shan with us. She is the biggest Jaws fan in the world that I know of, so I'm fully expecting a 10 from her, <laughs> if not oh, 11. And, I, and, I, and it's like me with Ghostbusters. I may just like not say anything and just let her talk the whole time. I mean, I don't know if I could possibly pull anything out that she don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think we might let her go last so y'all can get some thoughts in before she says everything. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think she knows that movie from beginning to end. Oh, no doubt. But I'm super excited for that movie. Uh, thanks again for everyone who tuned in. We really appreciate all support. Uh, go give us a like or a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube and interact with us. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, appreciate the support. Y'all have a good one. Just want to remind everybody... Uh-